Welcome to Your Path to Nonprofit Leadership, the weekly podcast that features the very best in career development in the nonprofit sector. I'm your host, Pat McDowell, and happy to give you actionable ideas that can elevate your current or perhaps your future nonprofit organization. Thanks again for listening. If you are a current nonprofit leader or you hope to be one, you are in the right place. I'm glad to bring you these weekly conversations with nonprofit experts who are really on the cutting edge of our sector. And if you would do me a favor, share this episode with one other person so we can continue to build a global community focused on nonprofit leadership. Well, I had a fantastic conversation in this episode with Samara Hakim, who brings a unique ability to help individuals and organizations better work with those different than them. And let's face it, we all need help in that area. And it made my conversation with Samara so helpful because she has practical ideas and advice for nonprofit leaders who are in all types of organizational settings. And the fact is most organizations are saying the right things, but how exactly do you implement change and shift the narrative on diversity, equity, and inclusion? Well, Samara has great insight on that exact problem and challenge And she is aware of the challenges you have likely faced and what exactly you can do to make genuine progress and assure your leadership messages are truly authentic. Lots to unpack here, so make sure you check out the show notes for this episode. It's number 112. Just go to the podcast or the news page at PattonMcDowell.com and you'll find all of the resources mentioned as well as more information on Samara and the great work she's doing through her consulting practice called Culture Grit. Speaking of resources, go to our website and make sure you connect with us. We're on all the social media platforms, in particular on LinkedIn. Make sure you're on our email list. You go to the bottom of the homepage and just go to the free resources link and you won't miss anything, including these weekly podcast episodes. By the way, also note at the bottom of the homepage, there is a have a question or contact us link. Why don't you schedule a free 15-minute call with me? Let's talk about how we can help your organization and its strategic planning. Maybe it's to re-engage your board through a facilitated workshop, or I'd be happy to talk to you about your next steps on the path to nonprofit leadership especially if this is the right time for you to consider one of our unique mastermind programs. We're excited about the interest in our fall cohort, and in fact, we might have two cohorts because of the interest and demand. All right, without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Samara Hakim. Samara, thank you for joining me on the path. Thank you, Patton. Pleasure to be here. Well, I'm excited about this conversation. You and I have had some great conversations leading up to today's session. And of course, you're doing great work in both the for-profit and the nonprofit community, focusing on a topic that a lot of nonprofit leaders still need help with, diversity, equity, and inclusion. So thank you for being here and being part of this discussion. And I guess I'll lead with this question. You know, you've done a lot of great things that what are you most proud of in your work with nonprofit leaders? Uh, thank you, Patton. Again, uh, great to be here, and I appreciate uh, this kind introduction. 
so definitely I'm proud of the fact that the nonprofits I work with are working with marginalized and disadvantaged populations uh, in the community and globally. So that makes me by itself uh, proud as someone who's passionate about equity. It's a given that I would enjoy working with those driven by that and their mission. It also, uh, in a sense, gives me the feeling that I'm part of something bigger in this cause, which, by the way, requires a lot of resilience, uh, we found out, especially this past year. Um, And definitely nonprofit leaders are some of the most resilient, committed leaders that I have ever met. I've been fortunate to meet uh, leaders in for-profit who are this way, but this past year, again, I've seen the incredible ability of nonprofit leaders to lead during crisis amidst the chaos and all the uncertainty. You know, you know that was the word of 2020. Right. And <laughs> and those skills had already been honed and practiced by them uh, by virtue of the sector itself tackling difficult issues in our society. So. Uh, I saw nonprofit leaders plowing through, leveraging the skills they had practiced, having an ecosystem of collaborators wherever they could. And I got to witness improved team dynamics, improved culture, something that was so critical, so needed during the crisis time. And for many of us, we may have been nervous about that. So it's been really nice to see it amidst the pandemic and the social unrest as well. That's such a good point. And I'm glad among many important words you lifted up is the resilience. And I know yes. your work, Samara, helps with that resilience because, um, you know, DEI are, are complex issues that you know better than anyone. So helping yes. nonprofits deal with that, understand it. And as the title of this episode suggests, shifting the narrative sometimes in a way that, of course, lifts up the expertise you bring. But before we get to that, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'm asking every guest, um, you're a very busy person, Samara, with clients all over the place. I wonder, in, in the spirit of productivity, and particularly in this virtual environment, how do you stay organized? What are some tips or tricks you found to be effective? <laughs> it's Yes, I try to stay organized, uh, <laughs> <laughs> right? We can only strive for that. But basically, I... I mean, this is going to sound so basic, but I really put everything on my calendar and I've come to put even unstructured or undesignated time. So basically the time that I, yeah, the time that I don't tell myself what to do. So I have time blocked for inspiration, for innovation, for correspondence, conversations, even calls with friends and various communities of practice that I'm part of for exercise, for family time. Uh, I also block uh, time each Friday uh, to look at the coming weeks and see that it all makes sense with the life that I want to lead. I've been more purposeful about that, uh, especially this past year. And frankly, my biggest motivation around that was I didn't want every day to be a meeting or calls or facilitation days. And I was really very motivated not to put on my best outfits and stay in pajamas. (laughs) (laughs) Wanted to stay in pajamas and sweats as much as I could. Um, So listening, uh, another one is listening to my brain, basically. My brain is telling me about its energy. Uh, I do listen to my heart, but lately I've been focusing on seeing what is my brain telling me about, do I need to rest? Uh, Is this, yeah, and I have to say, just so I'm not lying here, that most of the time I rest when I need to rest. It's not always easy. And I'm 
uh, a kind of person who's a night person. So I pay attention to when I have my lucid uh, ideas. So I'm a night person. I get ideas while biking kind of person, a 5 a.m. kind of idea person. So I make right, sure to, right. be, <laughs> to I record these ideas when I can. I'd have to say, though, uh, on that, just between us, this time right now is not my most lucid ideas time. <laughs> it's, uh, it is my favorite time for good conversations, though, so don't get me wrong. But bear with me. Uh, we're around the lunch hour, my time here. <laughs> well, you're, you're very lucid, and uh, no, I'm very impressed. And, of course, you lift up several things that I love. One, you kind of proactive calendaring, I found, is, is essential. Uh, I love your weekly review or preview concept. I'm a big fan. For me, it's a Saturday morning ritual. It sounds nice. like for you, it's Friday. And of course, I could not be more excited about your casual Friday fashion suggestion, <laughs> right? <laughs> That's good yes. for all of us. Um, well, and, and let me ask you, when, when you have that inspiration, Samara, at, at 5 a.m., do you literally record it into your phone or how do you capture yeah. those inspirational <laughs> moments? To the detriment of uh, my husband, uh, basically next to me, I yeah, I basically text myself some codes. Oh <laughs> I, wow! So I usually uh, do that because I can't record it in audio. But if I'm biking or I'm hiking, I record it an uh, audio, and I revisit these uh, when I, I go back during inspiration time. And I revisit those things that I had texted to myself or made notes uh, of. And uh, sometimes I don't understand them all, <laughs> uh, to be frank. But most of the time, I, I know where I'm going with it. And, and then something comes up either for an article or for a product to, to create. Uh, that's fantastic. And again, we have the technology, don't we, in our <laughs> handheld devices. And so you have a cool way to capture inspiration yes. because it, it often comes at times when we're maybe not at a desk able to yes. write it down but and the key is to put the phone away right after not get sucked into everything else there at 5 you go. <laughs> there you go and to your other point of we have to listen to our our heart and our mind and not be exhausted otherwise mm -hmm. we will certainly shut down um, yes. great advice um let's jump into it again Thank you've you. got lots of good things to talk about here in an issue that is difficult for some and I remember a, a quote you said, Samara, one time we spoke, you said, I equip leaders to work with those different than them. Talk about that. What, what do you yeah. mean by that? And why is that so important? Thanks. Uh, thanks for remembering. Uh, I, you know, over the years, I've uh, started saying that, frankly, to simplify <laughs> the work that I do so right, that somebody right. would understand uh, what I'm trying to get at. And the way I look at it is differences all around us. We just have to see it. And many times the breakdown in relationships that have happened, uh, basically, it is not because people do not want to be with those who are different than them. It's rather because they don't have the tools, the skills to navigate these conversations or even to begin these conversations. Right. So that, yeah, so that delicate balance between acknowledging we're different uh, than one another and finding that, you know, we do have things in common, 
there are some things that brought us together in proximity of one another. For example, you know, if we're just talking about the work, working on a joint project with the goal of being successful for all of us, working towards a cause, or even being in the same association or community of practice. So for leaders especially, they spend so much time making decisions. And as we all know, whether we recognize that actually or not, some of us may not, decisions require us to be mindful of our emotions. These topics that we're tackling can get quite emotional. They also require us to think creatively. And especially uh, recently, I've been seeing people thrust into so many changes all at once, having to figure it all out, be creative, be innovative, without wasting necessarily what they had put in and place. In these times of ambiguity, in these times of uncertainty, where, where multiple perspectives are very important, this is where definitely you need multiple perspectives, right? And you need them in a way where you're not thinking from just a visible identity kind of uh, standpoint, but also invisible cognitive uh, diversity. It sometimes looks foggy at first with all these ideas coming at us and eventually we see the full picture, but so this can only be done only if we're able to communicate across the different perspectives. Across the different perspectives, oftentimes we see people clash, but if you have the skills to bridge those, that's where my work comes in as a facilitator and a consultant, then it's beautiful to see the results of people and the innovation creativity. I love that. And I'm struck by your point that I guess there are obviously issues of visible difference that mm-hmm. sometimes uh, are a, clearly a barrier to success. The invisible differences are ones that are also ambiguous, as you put it. And either one, I guess, as a nonprofit leader, some of that can just paralyze me, right? And, and I, I'm sure yeah. that's where you're helping us bridge those gaps that do paralyze our success. And well, I guess I, I wonder that leads to a question of what are the problems? I mean, clearly you work in nonprofit, for-profit, and all types of organizations. But when you work with nonprofits, are there certain problems you see from a a DEI perspective? Uh, Particularly because we have this assumption about money kind of around nonprofits and where it's going. So overall, basically, we know that the money has not been necessarily going where it needs to go. It hasn't or it hasn't been designated to go where it needs to go. Right. So from a from a racial equity standpoint, at least. So from uh, studies by the National Committee for Responsible Philanthropy, the NCRP, uh, just some statistics here. You know, immigrants and refugees represent fourteen percent of the nation's population, but the share of local uh, philanthropic dollars that are invested in this community. And looking back at twenty eighteen, that was just one percent for service organizations. Then this uh, year, and this past year in twenty twenty, a report was uh, that was called "Black Funding Denied." which uh, if you're familiar with it, it was quite upsetting to folks in the sector because it showed that altogether, 1% of the grant making for 25 foundations that were looked at was specifically designated for black communities, just 1% when they had 15%. 15% of these 25 cities populations being black. So we're in a world where we can't unsee how the black community is under-resourced uh, and the wealth gap along race and ethnic lines. Overall, this is what I 
concerned a bit about as a problem within the sector and, and specifically when it comes to bodies that are supposed to be most in tune with the needs of the local population. Of course, you know, I can talk more specifically about bigger pieces, but that's kind of the large picture that we're looking at from a racial equity standpoint uh, for that, the sector. That was such a good point. And in fact, I've had some recent guests, Samara, that I, I would say from the funder perspective, there's at least acknowledgement, but there's, of course, lots of work to be done. And yes. I wonder, as you break down that problem, I mean, does it manifest itself? Well, let's talk about the different categories. First, with leadership, how would you see it from that vantage point? Yes. Uh, so for le with leadership, one of the things that I see is uh, leaders sometimes lose sight of the organization's mission and vision. Right. And uh, part of DEI is being true to the fact that I am going to put this as part of my mission and my vision for really creating an equitable and inclusive organization. And it is especially hard when founders of the organization are the ones losing the sight. If we think of nonprofits, implicit in the sector itself is the notion of building equity, right. creating equal opportunities, ameliorating wrongs and injustices, working against and through uh, multiple social and governmental systems. But eventually what I've uh, seen, you know, a pattern, stress uh, happens because they're trying to maintain the organization afloat or even existing. And so that takes over. The leaders start going for the lowest hanging fruit in which populations they want to serve, how, you know, what looks good in pictures, basically, and stories. And in many ways that feeds into the prejudice yeah. and the bias of donors as opposed to the other way around where we could have a chance to educate and, and uh, you know, leverage the strength that we can as nonprofit leaders educate because we're so close to the communities and to challenge the donors, frankly. So for me, yes, that is, uh, that is where I see that uh, um, surfacing among leadership. Well, and I guess in a related matter, because you're right, if, it, if the leadership is not clear or effective on that point, I'm sure it affects the staff and even the board, but have you seen it maybe in different forms across those audiences as well? Yeah, with the staff, uh, one of the things that from doing surveys and, and interviews, there's this certain sense of self-righteousness that can pop up across the organization. Uh, frankly, it's staff and leaders alike on that one. So right, basically, right. yeah, the, the, you know, we're doing good. So we're good to go. No need for personal development here or mitigating my biases or recognizing my powers and privileges and how they show up. And we see a certain, you know, savior mentality creeping up uh, as opposed to a partner mentality. But I also want to point out that uh, some of the things that we see happening externally can be the result of not paying attention to what's happening internally. So for staff, a lot of times staff feel that they're wearing multiple hats. You know, you've been right, doing this work right. for a long time, and I'm sure you hear this. And you, I'm sure you hear that, oh, yes, we can pretend that this gives me more visibility, theoretically. But we know that there's bias in this, that leaders end up rewarding, endorsing, and promoting behaviors that create a certain dominant culture or groupthink. And I see staff basically complaining about being underappreciated, that, uh, that if I ask for that recognition of myself, that I'm self-serving, and there's pressure to be in the service of others and the sector, sometimes to one's own detriment. So then we see burnout. 
burnout has been very common uh, recently. So a little attention being given to upskilling the staff to well-being, so people feel that uh, they are valued, signals that people's success and the staff success does matter. That is really important to have that dominate the climate, basically. Not to mention, you know, nonprofit is already stressful work. So we need to keep these things in mind separate from DI. It's so true. And again, I hope more nonprofit leaders listening will think about things like you suggested, giving maybe it is that Friday time off to decompress or unwind because I think it's dangerous as much as I understand the well-intentioned focus on all that we have to do. If we burn out our people, then yes. our mission is not going to be accomplished, right? And so I'm guessing you've seen some of that effect when when staff feels underappreciated and overworked. That's not going to end well. Yeah, and uh, this uh, this remote work environment as well, you know, adds to that. Uh, I'm sure you've seen this Good as well. Point. Yeah, it's on top of it that feeling of loneliness while I'm trying to serve others. Uh, you know, can someone take care of me? Kind of thing. I've heard Great those point. sentences. It's yes. a it's a mental health issue, right? That we perhaps are having to confront more than ever. Not that there weren't mental health issues all along. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But we're dealing with them now in an even more acute manner. They keep piling up. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, well, one more, I guess, category. And again, I, I mentioned, it, you, you mentioned the kind of savior mentality. And I think a lot of well-intentioned boards in the nonprofit world are indeed trying to make a difference. But yes. I, I guess, uh, does that also create some challenges that quote, savior mentality? Or what else do you see as far as boards of directors? Uh, yeah, this one for sure. Thanks for uh, bringing that up. And uh, if we think of the classic example of the board as a group of people who are able to secure a seat because of their network financial capabilities, and of course their career success, but all these things are symptoms of status and power. Right. And they're not necessarily indicators of effective skills or abilities to be on the board, or especially to serve certain populations that have painful lived experiences. So from my end, that's a lens that I've seen. It's as if the board position is rewarding power dynamics and denying the influence of these statuses that I listed, right. even in the process to create the board itself. So then the question becomes... Is whoever's sitting on the board having these lived experiences uh, that, you know, with the con constituents that they serve, that the organization serves, majority of the time, the answer is no. So I've seen boards, uh, board members make an attempt at that, um, you know, especially noticing they've been loving from a distance, basically, right, right. <laughs> not truly interacting with the constituents and the clients beyond maybe hearing a story here and there in some event or fundraiser or attending events, you know, that are being put on, but not, but frankly, they're missing out a lot on the value of coming face to face, whether virtual or in person with those who are, who they're supposed to be serving and fundraising for, uh, to begin with. Uh, many times that is the role of the board. Well, yeah. In fact, that's as admittedly as a fundraiser in my history, you're right. We're looking for board members who we think have that power dynamic that can help us raise money. And we justify yes. that. I think membership as well, we need them to raise money, but how can we help offset this, Samara, that I guess representing the voices that need to be heard without resorting to tokenism? 
Yeah, uh, this tokenism uh, word has come up so much uh, recently and the past few years, and there's a lot to unpack in this topic. I'm going to emphasize just a few key things here sure, sure. in the interest of time. Um, one of the things that I think of, especially because I work in, in that zone between nonprofits and for-profits, so there's we've a forgetfulness around user experience. We forget uh, for nonprofits that user experience does matter. When you think of the for-profit world, if we're releasing a product into the market, we do uh, research, development, implementation, and the user is a big part of that. That user experience, that application of that is important. And we don't see the equivalent in nonprofits. Right. For, for leaders, when even those that are on boards, immersing themselves in the client communities, attracting talent from there, this is key so they can hear the concerns, uh, so they can see them as the experts that they are in their own solutions. And frankly, to later change the perception of victimization in order to focus on strength and aptitudes beyond the saver mentality we talked about, which can directly lead to tokenism, by the way. Right. So, the, so another thing that I would say uh, for the boards um, through the onboarding process that we talked about is being uh, mindful that whoever is on the board, we're not tying that to someone's financial powers, but rather their ability to help with governance, their passion, their commitment to the mission, as well as an authentic commitment to new perspectives. So being purposeful about having enough board members and leaders with lived experiences similar to the constituents. And this will not be done effectively unless there's education. Of course, I'm going to talk about that because yeah, this is the uh, world, you know, I, I work, work in. in. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, we have to be purposeful about providing the existing board members and leaders, as well as new ones, the training, the development, and inclusive leadership and in cultural intelligence and in cultural humility in ways to mitigate bias and also uh, in, power, in looking at power dynamics. Basically, basic communication skills to work with those who are different, but without missing out on what I see often being forgotten, which is looking at intersectionality of identities and historical power and status, looking at the historical oppression and inequities. We cannot move forward without looking at those. We have to have deep introspection for everybody involved and for those, especially in the dominant culture, to be proactive about their own development. So education is key. I would say, just in summary, I, I know I, I threw a bunch of stuff here. <laughs> right. Uh, it's good. It's good. <laughs> You're letting me flow so well. Uh, thank you. I appreciate your good listening skills. Okay, so in summary, I would say the essentials are uh, education of the board and leadership, purposeful board composition uh, strategy, basically making sure they're diverse and equitable, and then seeing the communities that you serve as the ultimate experts uh, and being in close touch with them. Those are the key things to keep in mind for that. All good points. And it's not only the right thing to do, but, you know, as a fundraiser, you made a very good point about authenticity. The best fundraising is an authentic invitation to invest. And you're right. As an outsider uh, from the majority, I, I can't uh, most effectively articulate the, the, uh, the situations that I may be trying to help. So having that representation, having that voice is so important. And, you know, the good news tomorrow is, again, talking to funders recently, I think there's going to be more scrutiny that boards yes. of directors include 
literal representation from the communities they serve. Yeah, and that the education piece ahead of time is important before the representation even starts, right? Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Well, fantastic. You know, um, what does it look like when these nonprofits do indeed kind of help mitigate the bias that you're just describing? I mean, I, I'm sure when it works, ultimately, you're seeing some very positive outcomes. Uh, yeah, I would say one of the main things that to keep in mind for that is something that I've seen ha- people hesitant about, which is the leader or the organization actually saying no. You say no to opportunities where you find you are hogging the space as part of the dominant culture. This is a very common thing in nonprofits, including founders, like I said, who hang on to their positions for way too long. Good point. At the detriment of an organization's growth and long-term existence. This is also means saying no to funding that uh, should be going to organizations or community grassroots efforts that are more in touch with the population needing services. So eliminating these practices of gatekeeping that may have been uh, taking place internally and externally. That's how it looks like. It also looks like where your branding and your messaging, images, words, all of that need to be inclusive. They need to make sure the focus is on the strength of the clients. They also uh, need to be making sure that the voices and input of the clients is baked into the solutions and communication of the organization, not not telling people basically this is what you need to do, this is what you uh, shouldn't be doing, that superiority or self-righteousness thing we talked about. Right. And um, and I said, you know, the, the constituents are the experts. So the organizations need to look at them as such. And it would also mean that across all the tiers of the organization, you see it representative of the community and the constituents. So we're talking board, leadership, staff, partnerships as well. They're optimized. They're led by constituents. Uh, Partnerships align, uh, whether we're thinking partnerships for financial reasons or other resources, they're aligned with diversity, equity, and inclusion. It's very easy to go to the large funder. It's very easy because there's the money, you want to take their money, and it's also easy to do that without holding them accountable to their practices. So that's another thing where if this is done right, nonprofits will look at themselves as partners with these uh, funders and donors and and feel the dynamic of the power shifting uh, so that we are going in the direction of equity where everybody is looking at each other as a partner in this uh, space and we're focused on structural change as opposed to just direct services meaning the leader is saying how can I How can my organization be part of disrupting and preventing structural and systemic inequities as opposed to just treating the symptoms that we are seeing? This is what it means to have racial justice, which frankly is beyond even racial equity. Right. So those are some things that uh, are key. And internally, I would say, as you are looking for representation across the tiers of the organization, mitigating bias and creating the spaces for people to feel solidarity with their identities. So for example, uh, one very concrete thing that could be done is forming employee resource groups or learning communities or groups for peer coaching, any kind of group, any kind of group where people can feel that their identity is shared and valued from the minute they join, But also, uh, one of the controversial things about this is people think these are uh, reasons for division. These are solidarity groups. Right. 
so it's important to recruit people who are outside uh, the identity, champions, allies that can use their spheres of influence, amplify voices, and at the same time, of course, grow uh, themselves as professionals and individuals. Makes good sense. And of course, it just creates a culture that I do think nonprofits aspire, all organizations aspire to. But you're right, you have to be intentional about providing that opportunity for groups uh, for those communities that need it. And I like your reference to the allies as well, because it's not just about them, so to speak. I'm putting that in quotes. It's yeah. about everyone. And we all need to find a way to contribute. And of course, yes. you know, your expertise, Samara, is so good. At you, The term partnership makes perfect sense because you work at that intersection of nonprofit and for-profit. And, you know, I wonder what lessons you've learned, you know, from the for-profit community and you know, maybe lessons for nonprofit leaders. How can they better work through that same intersection that you study? Yeah, uh, specifically for uh, furthering uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Right. Uh, that's uh, that's kind of where my focus is. Exactly. So, nonprofits, I think, need to be using and leveraging the influence of corporations beyond corporate uh, giving. So. They need to see them as platforms and amplifiers. There's biases across both sectors that I've seen in my conversations. But the reality is that business wants to do good these days because of the heightened awareness we've seen the past year. And, uh, you know, around inequities in the communities where their employees live and because the majority of their employees just expect it. So when we think, I mean, this is a given now, basically your employees are looking at, are you socially environmentally responsible? That is in the for-profit sector, that's in the nonprofit sector. So donors and corporate boards need to see what it's like to lead a movement. And I don't think they all have that lens too well, but being in direct content uh, contact with the nonprofit leaders, specifically with leaders of grassroots organizations and can, their constituents, can help with that. It's essential. So this blend of the spirits of the two sectors, basically, if you will, uh, looking also at recognizing that competition is a good thing. We see that a lot as something good in the for-profit, but sometimes in non-profit, we forget that there is a need for healthy competition. Right. We already last year, when you think about funds and impact, uh, non-profits were forced to scale operations, incorporate more technology. And for larger non-profits themselves, they had to pay more attention to grassroots, smaller size non-profits and community foundations, including BIPOC organizations. Out of necessity during the pandemic, basically, I think they embraced uh, technology and crowdfunding. And now it's a world of possibilities uh, for making an impact in the future. So that's one thing uh, that I'm thinking needs to be more highlighted uh, from a, you know, I integrate uh, culture into business metrics. That's part of the work that we do. And so data is really important. Taking stock of your organization, where it is uh, internally and externally, really being transparent about the data around along demographic lines, race lines, being, uh, thinking about you know, who's getting opportunities to showcase their skills internally, who's being passed with the grunt mundane work. I see this from BIPOC employees all the time that they're saying, you know, I get to do the uh, grunt work. I don't get visibility. I don't get credit. Who's who's getting sponsorship and mentorship, paying attention to those. And corporations love data. 
And, uh, you know, if you as a nonprofit revisit your pay structure, you ensure that equity in pay is there, you come to the non to the for-profit basically and say, this is how you can help us when it comes to data. Uh, for example, if the tech industry, many times we see them donating, but can they perhaps give us products? Can they give us training and education as a nonprofit, whether through universities or any any other way of doing this basically beyond just DEI metrics. If you want the data, if you like that, if you want to see my impact as a nonprofit, perhaps help me with the tools to be able to gather and collect and report and eventually tell you where you can help us. So that's another thing to keep in mind. A partnership like this can be an asset for all of us in society I also think sometimes, and people resist that from just the concept of historical trauma, but when we think of nonprofits, they can be a sort of beta testing of products uh, for a tech company. Interesting. Well, yeah, so I'm, I'm, you know, I'm in San Diego, so a huge tech hub here, and uh, the there's a lot of access to BIPOC populations that nonprofits can provide, but not so much because we're using the population. It's really to validate the product that it does address the preferences and needs of those populations. Meaning looking at them as partners and seeing how we can meet the needs of the, this population for what they want. Uh, the, the power is in them basically. So I think that kind of partnership would be great. There's, there's a lot I can talk about, you know, around fundraising and everything but, else as well, if you want me to. Well, it's, um, it's yeah. fascinating, Samar, because you're right. I think many nonprofit leaders look at their corporate partners, frankly, as dollars. They want the sponsorship. Mm -hmm. They want the kind of fundraising benefit. But you're suggesting there are multiple ways we can partner that are mutually beneficial. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they could be growth partners for each other, hold each other accountable, educate each other, be in each other's spaces uh, and uh, educate one another in a way, uh, formally and informally. Yeah, it makes me want to, again, if I'm going back uh, through our corporate partners to think about what their motivations are, because indeed that may intersect with ours. Certainly the populations we serve are populations they want to serve in many cases. So again, you're suggesting there could be that advantage or advantageous partnership for sure. Is, it, is there anything yeah. else as you, I know you've given a lot of thought to this, that ways that nonprofits and for-profits could partner better? Uh, this one, I would add one more thing that these there's needs to be these programs to pair the leaders from both sectors. And you actually touched on that Uh to understand who they want to impact, really to learn the languages of each other, the business languages of each other, understand how they could approach business objectives for the corporates, but also when we're talking about the nonprofits, what impact they want to make uh, and keeping that in mind. And it's a very um, tricky thing for a nonprofit leader to just go out and proclaim without having done the work themselves. Right. They have to work on their own development. So that's that is important. Before we go and start, you know, blaming somebody else, we talked about all of this process and shifting the narrative, but we need it where leaders for nonprofit work on their own development, build trust with clients and constituents. And essentially the learning and introspection needs to be a commitment on a regular basis. And it needs to be seen as everyone's work, not 
DI or learning and development or HR functions. It's top down, bottom up, all across everyone's work. Such a good point. And of course, as you know, this podcast is really designed for folks that are thinking about professional development in every sense of the word. And I hear your I advice know, and loud that's and clear, why I'm, right? Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm totally taking advantage of that here. <laughs> Good. And, and well, and, and let's, let's repeat that. So you're saying, I guess, your final advice, if you will, to a nonprofit leader is start with yourself. Is that fair? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> well, it, it, are there any other advice? Again, uh, Samar, you have enlightened I know our listener on many of the complexities, but Thank also you. practical ways to help address them. Uh, I think we're good. This is great. You know, I uh, it's a chance to be able to share uh, so much, and you know, you could get as concrete as possible with the stuff. But I think uh, the keywords here definitely introspection, collaboration, and accountability across everybody. Well put, and that's. Uh, the, the words we may add to the show notes specifically, because <laughs> of course, we're going to learn more about where they can find you. But as you know, Samara, I ask every guest, what, what are a book or two that have been meaningful to you that you might recommend to our audience? Yes, I know you. I knew you were going to ask me that, uh, knowing <laughs> yes, your indeed. podcast. And I have uh, a couple of really good ones uh, that I love and really recommend basically together. So the first one is Adaptive Space by Michael Arena. And this one, uh, and then the second one is How to Be an Anti-Racist by Ibram X. Kendi. And the Adaptive Space one, be, uh, one of the reasons why I like it, it goes beyond the skills of people uh, and uh, kind of human capital perspective. And it looks at social networks, social okay. capital. So innovating within and outside an organization through organizational network analysis. And this is critical for nonprofits. The book is mostly about for profit, but I found it when I was reading it, I thought, wow, okay, this really is how can you have influencers alongside you and not relying on the top hierarchy to move your ideas forward, which is critical in this sector. Absolutely. And, yeah. And then a lot, but with that, I think it's important to read How to Be an Anti Racist by uh, Dr. Ibram X. Kendi because it's about how we can start seeing racist policies and ideas all around us, disrupting those standards and systems that are rooted in racism. So if you think about it, if we're blending those two books together, we're looking at innovation, but innovation being anti racist. And with that, I think we'll be in a much better shape to adapt and make the rest of the changing world around us uh, be, be its best, basically. Great recommendations. And you're right. The combination of those recommendations, I think, may give an even greater insight and a unique practicality to reading them both. So thank you for lifting that up, uh, thank Samara. You. Um, lots of words of wisdom as I knew you would provide. So I'm grateful for that. And where can our listeners find out more about you and the great work you're doing? 
uh, just our website, so culturegrit.com. So C-U-L-T-U-R-G-R-I-T. There's no E after that, R in culture. Or feel free to find me uh, myself on LinkedIn, Samara Hakim. Last name is H-A-K-I-M, but I know you're going to spell those out anyway in the <laughs> podcast. <laughs> and I would say, whoever is listening, please make sure to mention the, po- the podcast and your subject line. Uh, so I know that this is where uh, you got to learn how to reach out to me. So I appreciate it. And really, really, really thank you so much, Patton, for this time. Um, I know I I took a lot of time and I appreciate you so much. Thank you, Samar. Well, it's my pleasure. I do indeed hope people will reach out to you and learn about the great work you are doing literally all over the world. And so I encourage our listeners to do that. And thank you again for joining me on the path. And thank you for your great work, really. Uh, Big, big fan of yours here. Thanks. Well, I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Samar as much as I did and came away with some really valuable ideas that can not only guide your professional journey, but help you deal with the complexities of DEI and being authentic in your leadership around that topic. Don't forget the show notes. They are available on our website, PattonMcDowell.com. You can find out more about Samara, the resources and opportunities she can offer you through Culture Grit, and some great book recommendations for sure. As always, please share this episode with somebody else on the path. And if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe. Just go to the podcast page at PattonMcDowell.com, and you'll see links to all of the primary podcast platforms. Don't miss out on any of our weekly episodes. They come out every Thursday, as well as bonus features we're producing at least once a month. And you know what? If you like this episode, I've been fortunate to have some great guests dive into this topic around DEI. Number 94, Anna Dewar Gully. Number 73, Valerie Williams. And number 52, Valeda Fullwood, all brought great insight to this topic and will add to your knowledge base if you want to check them out. Of course, I'll have them all linked up in the show notes so you can access them easily. Thanks for all you're doing in the nonprofit sector, especially right now, and keep up the good work for causes that are most meaningful to you. I'll keep bringing you content that can help you do it even better. Have a great week, and I'll see you next time on The Path.